0: Gathering with Roger B. occurs monthly in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Attendees are 12-steppers, those who have been affected by another's addiction, and some who are simply interested in improving their personal level of life satisfaction using a variety of spiritually-based tools. It is also used as a tool for study groups nationwide. The Gathering's talks are generally tied to one or more of the 12 steps, but are always guided by spiritual concepts, principles, and ideas common to most faiths. Topics are drawn from a variety of sources, the 12 Steps, many of the well-known wisdom texts, science, and other teachers that speak to a spiritual solution to life solutions. Roger has been in recovery for over 40 years and has spent thousands of hours in service, sharing his experience, strength, and hope. He has created curriculum for treatment centers and leads workshops and retreats throughout the United States, Canada, and Europe. Roger is a certified spiritual director and offers insight into spiritually based living skills that are relevant to all people, whether in recovery or not. This episode is sponsored by Gopher State Tape Library, a 501c corporation. Established in 1974, the library has been archiving recovery talks of the many 12 step recovery fellowships across the globe. For almost 50 years, These have been distributed worldwide. The library is the only all-volunteer organization doing this work in existence. There are no paid employees. Thousands of downloads, MP3s, and CDs can be obtained at www.gstl.ecwid.com. I uh, I want
1: to start with a little ditty I saw today that I kind of thought was cute. We can't always choose the music life plays for us, but we can always choose how we dance to it. That's assuming you know you have a choice, right? So um, I'm gonna do something uh, that I usually don't do with you, but I am I wanna talk about the teacher, the one teacher, and I'm gonna start with a, uh, a reading by Emmett Fox. Um, man is a mental being, and to know this is the first step on the road to freedom and prosperity. For as long as you believe yourself to be primarily physical, a superior kind of animal, you'll remain in bondage. In bondage, that is to say, to your own habits of thought. For there's no other bondage. Where do we see that in a, in our big book? The main problem the alcoholic centers in his mind. You know this, you know this from your own experience. That the hardest thing you have to do is to change your thinking. We've all suspended the drinking, we've all suspended the drug use, and and most of the goofy behavior. So, in bondage to your thinking, right? Also, if you're going to remain thought based, you're going to be in bondage and bondage to your social security and sex instincts, you're going to be in bondage to more, you're going to be in bondage to the world out here, the externals. Mind is primary, but mind must have embodiment, manifestation. And the embodiment of your mind is found in your visible conditions. The kind of health you have, your financial position, your business connections, the sort of home you have and all the thousand and one other things that make up your present environment. In other words, your world is an outpicturing of your consciousness. All the elements of it, all your friends, their aspects of you, all, all your conditions. This being the case, you'll see how foolish it is for you to endeavor, as do most people, to improve your conditions by altering your environment while leaving your mind unchanged. We've all run this experiment. If I could just get, fill in the blank, to behave, to mind, to get in the groove I want, then I wouldn't have to drink so much. Then I wouldn't feel this way. Then I'd be happy. Then I'd be content, right? So I'm trying to change the exterior without changing the interior. This is like the person who comes to AA or NA or CA or some A, And stops the the using, but doesn't change any of the thinking. This is also the seed of why we relapse. Because we never change. We're just abstinent. And so we're left with the same mind that we had when we were using it. Eventually, that mind will eat us up and get us back on the road. Right? To attempt this is to attempt the impossible. And to foredoom yourself to failure and disappointment. True or false. How many times have I tried to fix what's inside of me with something on the outside? New car, more money, more sex, new girlfriend, new boyfriend, new husband, new wife, new dog, new boat, new motorcycle, new place to live, new town, new state, new sponsor, new meetings. It goes on and on, right? Mind is cause and experience is effect. This is a big idea. Mind is cause and experience is an effect. The easiest way I can explain this to you is think about when you're afraid. That's mind. Mind has created a scenario that hasn't happened because it's in the future, fear, and you've had a physical reaction to that. The effect, the manifestation, the physical effect is what he's talking about. It's the experience. My experience of fear is I sweat, I hyperventilate, my pulse goes up, my blood pressure goes up, my palms sweat, and I get really short with people. Whatever, right? That's what they're talking about. So it's not far-fetched. And we all have an experience of it. Mind is cause and experiences effect, and so as long as your mind remains unchanged, it will continue to produce just those effects or experiences of which you're anxious to be rid of. That's why I keep doing the same thing over and over. No matter how hard I try, I can't control my drinking. No, how, no matter how hard I try, I can't quit lying because I don't know what informs a lie. What informs the line is my shame that I'm less than you. And I think that the lie makes me look better than I really am. And all it does is make me look like a fraud and a liar. But I don't know you see through that, right? If you don't like the experience or effect that you're getting, the outpicturing, the obvious remedy is to alter the cause. And then the effect will naturally alter too. Some of you have already had this experience in your recovery. I altered some of the behavior, the drinking, the drug use, the controlling, if you're an al right? But there's other layers to this. There's other layers to this that need to be altered as well. And how do I run into those? This is the theme of this. There's one teacher, one teacher. What do they say? God is life. God is life. Life is the teacher. Life is the teacher. And I need to be able to understand the lessons. But I can't understand the lessons when I'm not here. I'm in my head. I'm in the future. I'm planning how I'm going to do the next thing or what the next thing is or the next result I have to get. Right? So here's a thing that's that's a constant, one of the few constants. And it's also one of the most disturbing constants. The change is the constant. Everything changes. And what happens to us, look at at your life. Look how much you've changed since you were born. Look at how much you've changed in the last 10 years, in the last 20 years, the last 30 years, the last 50 years. There's been a lot of change. Some I brought on and some was brought to me, right? So what happens is I don't want to change because I'm afraid. Because what the, what the shame and the fear see is, I'm willing to change if you can give me a little taste of how it's going to turn out and make sure I'm going to like it. Right? No, no, no. No. It requires faith to proceed. Because there is no guarantee. And besides that, if you get what you want, how many times have you gotten what you want and it found out it was exactly what you didn't want? So, this whole idea that I know what's best for me, that's got to go because the evidence is quite clear. I have no idea what's best for me. I'm driven by desires and hungers. I'm driven by appetites. I'm not driven by spirit, right? So, now I've got a new idea. There's two kinds of pain the pain that hurts and the pain that changes. The pain that hurts, And the pain that changes. The pain that hurts is the mistake I don't learn from. The pain that changes, if I learn the lesson the pain's trying to teach me, it goes away. It's never repeated again. All better, all gone. So pain is a pointer. It's trying to show me this isn't working. This isn't working. It's not the same kind of pain as when I slam my hand in the drawer. When I slam my fingers in the drawer, I don't have to sit and think about, well, what would be the appropriate way to remove these fingers from the drawer? No, you just, it's an automatic reflex. You just jerk it out. But I have all kinds of mental pain, psychological pain, my fear, my shame. What are people thinking of me? I'm not good enough. I'll never make it. I can't do this. I'm a fraud. I'm a phony. Everyone's going to find out. No, then I'll be ruined, right? And we stay paralyzed. And that's why when you look at your four-step, that's why you have oftentimes years, if not decades, of repetitive behavior. Because they never learn the lesson. Once I learn the lesson, that behavior stops. Because the thinking, the ideas that inform the behavior are no longer there. And new ideas have taken their place. Honesty, dishonesty is a really good example. You know, I don't have to try and remember what I've told everybody anymore, because I'm telling everyone the same thing. Before, everyone got a different story. You got the story that I wanted you to have. I wanted you to have the story that would make you like me or make me you accept me. Okay, so fine. You get the idea. Right. So what happens is we get in here, we get formulas. We have teachers, you know, teachers in school, they can teach you math, they can teach you auto mechanics, they can teach you skill sets, but they can't teach you life. Life is the only thing that can teach you life. So when we look at the purpose of the 12-step modality, the purpose is not to stop drinking. The purpose is to find, establish, and grow a relationship with the God of our understanding. And that God, that power, whatever you end up calling it, is what does the work. We are making ourselves available to be changed. How do you do that? You remove all the ideas that are blocked. So it's here's a trap. Here's a trap. Formulas. Formulas. We get formulas. Here's one. Meeting makers make it. That's a formula. So if I go to a lot of meetings, I'll make it. If you don't understand the formula and you just take it on a compliance conformity level, you're gonna to go to a, meeting, a lot of meetings and still be sicker than you were when you started. Here's another formula. Don't drink, go to meetings, read the book. I know guys that did that and stay drunk because it's not go to meetings, don't drink and read the book. It's do what's in the book, take the action. So someone has to explain these formulas. If I'm using a formula, suit up and show up. There's another formula. Really? So depending on the clothes I wear <coughs> and how often I show up at your bloody meeting, that's going to determine no. So you get what I'm saying? 90 meetings in 90 days. There's a formula. 90 meetings in 90 days. I know people that drank between every one of those meetings. So the formula is only good as far as it can take. So I need someone. Here's the teacher. I have a human form of teacher, sponsor, to show me through the lens of their experience, not to tell me what to do but to tell me what they've done so I can get a general idea of a path to take as long as it's in harmony with what the big book is saying to do. If it's not in harmony with the book, it might very well work for your the man or woman who's trying to teach you, but it might not work for you. Because every time we do a derivative of this thing, it gets diluted. I've heard people talk about sponsors that don't believe in doing a four-step. That must be an interesting recovery with no self-examination. How convenient, you know? And I only drink on holidays. That's a beautiful formula, right? So the things that really matter, life, love, reality, God, who am I? Why am I here? Those things can't be taught. They have to be experienced. And that's the point of the steps they're experiential. They're not intellectual. You will use, I will use, we will use our intellect to discern certain things along the way, to make lists, to say prayers, is this me, is this not me, discernment and all that. But God does the changing. Make no mistake. I don't change anything. I just try and get enough of this stuff out of the way to give God some space to work. When you think you're changing stuff, you'll hear people talk about it when they get their their medallions, usually in the first year, year and a half. I'm so proud of how far I've come, all the work I've done, how special I'm becoming, you know, and it's I, 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 you missed the plot. Someone has not informed them, you know, because that's another form of self-reliance. And that's the whole thing that got us here is the failure of that. So now the alcoholism can disguise that self-reliance as pride. I'm so proud of what I've done. Well, look up the definition of pride in the dictionary. It's a distortion. Exaggerated sense of self. Exaggerated sense of self. Self self Self-love, self-hate, self-condemnation, self-aggrandizement. It's a distortion. So. So how do I find these things through my experience? What do we do? That's why we have inventory process. You know, in the the, uh, submission stage two through seven, we're just examining to the best of our ability, the things that are in the way of us having the lives we want to have, of being the man, the woman that I want to be, being the human being I want to be. We get a rough idea, and that's all it takes is a rough idea. God can work with minimal pieces of fabric, right? And so I need to find a way to keep growing while that stuff is being marginalized with the immense. That marginalizes that, it neutralizes it, and then there's an assumption there that I've also changed the behavior. So if I've changed the behavior and I've met the past, I have now taken that club out of the isms hand that can come back to me and say, well, don't forget about what you did with Heather. Don't forget about Bill. Don't forget that amend you never did with Justin. Don't forget the car you stole from Ann. You know, all that's been taken care of. So this is, and you know, You've. Everyone here has had this experience. When you have an experience that's ineffable, when you you know it might be. Well, here's an example. I uh, generally in the morning when I do my meditations, I end it by staring out the window. I've told you this before, and to the senses, to the senses, it looks very quiet. And it looks very static, very still. But the tree I'm looking at, the grass I'm looking at, the bricks I'm looking at, the sh- the shingles I'm looking at are all vibrating and they're all in different states of growth and decay. And I can't perceive that. But when I have the experience of knowing that's what's underneath what my senses are telling me, it's indescribable. I can't tell you how that feels. It's like, it's like that that sunset. You post it, Heather, and you can say, here it is. Isn't it beautiful? And everyone will see something different. Everyone will see something different relative to the formulas or the filters they're using in their head. So I write music. I write a song. I perform the song for you, and you feel something. You don't know if you're feeling what I intended. You're feeling what you intended. And I don't know if you'll ever get the message. You see it all the time with art. I look at a beautiful painting. We're at the gallery. We look at a painting or a sculpture. And everyone's looking at it go, wow. And everyone's seeing something different. And you can't describe the feel. That's what we're going for. That's the great reality is the indescribable effect of the presence of the creator. The presence of me being in the presence of God. That's one of the things that solitude is about. When you study it, it's a it's not about quiet and peace. It's about being alone with God. And that might be watching the sunrise over the lake, or it might be watching an egg hatch, or it might be watching your kid run across the front yard, or it might be staring out the window, looking at a bunch of shingles that are decaying. It might be just, can I be in awe? You know, there's an expression. Let me see if I can find it. I wrote it down somewhere. Yeah. We're more curious about the dreams we're having than we are about the things we see every day. We're walking around all the time, seeing all kinds of miraculous things that we can't we don't identify because we're not present. And that's the challenge, isn't it? In this noisy world, in this world of the fake. The false self to be present, to just stop the noise and go, here you are. Here you are. Here you are. And so we can talk about this forever. But at the end of the day, it's your walk and your walk alone. It's your experience and your experience alone. I can, I can share my experience with you and I can guide you in yours. I can say, for instance, um, I thought of that once Justin and when I did it, this is what I got for results. And Justin could then go, then what did you do? And I said, well, then I did what the book told me to do and I got this result. I'm not telling him what to do. I'm telling him what I did and that gives him an idea of where to take his path. So he's gonna make a choice. And if he makes a poor choice, if you want to use that that judgment, a poor choice, if he makes a choice that hurts, the question is, what am I asked to learn here? Where was my mistake? Not why is this happening to me? Okay. So everyone's experience that we got, how many people? We got 25 people here on the meeting. 25 people. Totally different sets of experiences and totally different points of the continuum in this progression of coming to know and be uh, present to the creator, this higher power, and totally different amounts of blend in that. You know, I got, I'm doing really good in my recovery in the drinking drug part, and I'm doing pretty good in the relationship part, but I'm still doing really crappy in the money part. It's your life, it's all one part. And my ego wants to tell me it's different parts. And so I can say, well, I'm doing much better with the line, but I'm still stealing. Oh, I'm still spending more than I make. That's not okay. And eventually, the pain that is the teacher will bring me to my knees, my experience, will bring me to my knees, that point where I say, I can't do this anymore. I can't take another step. What would you have me be? What's, what, what do I need to do? To what? Get the pain to stop. You have to correct your thinking. You have to change your relationship with money. You have to change your relationship with women, with men, with animals. You have to change your relationship with things and stuff, with with your job, with your career. You have to change your thinking. You don't have to change it all at once, but it will all get put through the process eventually. And I determined, this is me being the curriculum creator, I determine how long that takes. There were parts of this were really long and tedious for me and very painful. And the pain wore me down. The pain got me to the point where I could say the same thing I did with the alcohol and the drugs. I'm done, I'm toast, I can't do this. Now my mind is open to another approach what would God have me be? What would a creator-based idea sound like? What would an action sound like, look like, that is based in a high principle rather than a low principle? Susan is behind me, and... uh, I've been really having problems with patience lately. And I was praying before the meeting. I was thinking about it. And it's not that I don't love Susan or Miles. It's not that at all. I just have been impatient. And the prayer that came to me right before this meeting was, God, let me love them the way you love me. Not mind, not mean anything to you, but it really gave me A nice, deep, fresh, clean inhalation of the truth, right? There's no problem here. There are some conditions. There's no problem here. The problem is always me. The problem is always the idea that I'm serving. I'm either going to serve self or I'm going to serve God. Some version of man's world or God's world. There is nothing in between. I'm in and out. I'm not kind of spiritual. I'm either in the spirit or I'm not. When I'm kind of spiritual is when I'm looking at it from across the room going, well, there it is over there. Isn't that nice? But I'm not there. I have to get there, right? So there's one teacher, and that teacher is our experience. That teacher is life, and life is God. And we create the curriculum. Nothing's being done to us. It's all being done for us. One teacher. And we set the lesson plan. And the the game is, I got to figure out what this is trying to show me, what it's trying to help me learn. So what? So I can be better? Yeah. So I can be more free? Yeah. So I can have less stuff to inventory. More good stuff, the inventory, than negative stuff. Okay, fine. If you got to go to dualism, we'll do that. But it's just stuff. And some of it hurts bad, and some of it hurts good. When it hurts good, I'm on the right path. Hurting good is i got to let go of this, because it doesn't serve me, it doesn't serve you, and it doesn't serve anyone else. Therefore, it is not of the creator. Okay?
0: New episodes of The Gathering are published twice a month and can be found on Spotify and other major podcast apps. You can follow The Gathering on Spotify and others to receive monthly notifications of new episodes.